Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 12 through 19. Now hear God's Word. A worthless person, a scoundrel, a wicked man, a villain, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his fingers. With perverted heart he devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among Brothers, this is the word of the Lord. For many years, I served on the uh, credentialing committee of our presbytery, Southwest Presbytery. And what that what that credentialing committee did was we would examine uh, candidates who were coming in to serve in our denomination. And there were different levels of uh, of entry. One was the young men who were going to seminary would come under care. And so we had very few questions for them. There wasn't too much involved. And the next stage was licensure, when a man would come to be licensed to preach. And there was a whole array of questions and exams that they had to do, both written and oral. And then finally, if a man got a call to the ministry into a church, uh, we would examine him for ordination. And these exams would take hours and hours to conduct. They were done orally. And we would uh, ask them questions, and they were under seven different categories. I won't go into all the details. It was very uh, grueling to have to go through these what we call trials of ordination. And I've been through them. I actually went through it twice and uh, uh, because I... F- Flunked the first time. Uh, no, that's not true. <laughs> I was actually ordained in a, a different denomination, so I had to do it twice. But the, um, so the questions are, are grueling and excruciating. But we, we do throw the candidates uh, a few softballs. We want to make it easy for them. And so we'll, we'll usually ask them uh, at some point in the, in the exam, tell, tell us this, who uh, of... of men or women in in the history of the church or in society, whatever, who are the people that have influenced you uh, the most in your Christian walk? Who were the people that influenced you? And of course, I immediately uh, was able to give them uh, answers that I knew they would like. One was, of course, Dr. R.C. Sproul. I studied with Dr. Sproul at at, uh, my seminary. Uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, another of my professors, Dr. Bruce Walke, whose commentary we're using for this Proverbs uh, series, and, uh, and Richard Pratt, and a number of others uh, that I was able to, to uh, mention. Positive influence, a positive influence. That's what we were asking these men. What positive influences have shaped your life? But negative influence is also a profound Uh, has a profound effect on people. And all of you know that. We have things in our lives that negatively influence us or affect us. They're very destructive. 
They're infectious. They tend to go from us to out to other people. They're very far-reaching. And we've been looking over the past six weeks, and this is the last of these sermons, and then perhaps next year we'll pick up the things that God loves, but we've been looking at the things that God hates. And the Proverbs contain a catalog written by the sage or sages or under the guidance and maybe even written by Solomon himself. These seven things that God hates. He hates haughty eyes. That's an attitude of pride and arrogance. It actually literally means that the raising of the eyebrows. It was the, the idea of a king sitting on his throne and his eyebrows pop up and he looks down his long nose at all the lower people below him. Haughty eyes, arrogance and pride. A heart, second one, a heart that devises wicked plans. These are the, the internal cogitation, if you will, our thoughts, the things that are rolling around, the ruminations, and, and it's, it's those things in our heart. Lying speech and false witness. These are two. We've kind of put them together during this series. These are our words. What goes on in our heart, our attitude, our mind, our thinking, eventually is spoken. It will come out. It will be spoken. And then last week we looked at hands that shed innocent blood, feet that make haste to run to evil. These are our deeds, what we actually do, our deeds. And finally, today we're going to look at this, this last one, sowing discord. Uh, the use of influence in a negative, a negative way. It results in, listen, to wicked and malicious destruction. In our thoughts and words and deeds, when it comes out, when it finally reaches its full bloom, its full expression, it can be extraordinarily destructive. And what happens is it spills over and ends up touching and flooding everybody around them. And so we're going to look at these uh, this issue of sowing discord this morning under these three headings. Here's uh, the outline for you. First of all, what is uh, sowing discord? What exactly is the sage warning uh, that, that is so destructive? What is it? What does it do? What is its effect? And finally, how do we confront it and, and hopefully defeat it to some, in some degree in our lives? So, Let's look at it under those three headings. What it is, what it does, and how do we confront it? How can we confront it? Uh, so what is it? Well, literally, the Hebrew word means to unleash conflict. To unleash conflict. To let it loose or set it free. In other places, the same word is used in a good sense of setting someone free. But in this sense, it's, it's, it's letting loose. Unleashing something. And what that something is, is conflict. It is discord, strife, and dissension. And what the sage is getting at is that this stuff that's been percolating inside the heart and mind of people eventually makes its way out of the mouth. And once it's out of the mouth, it shows itself in deeds and actions and what we do. And that becomes a fire that spreads. It goes beyond us into the lives of other people and into the lives of the world. Into the life of the world. And the sage is saying that the people that do this 
are the wicked, the worthless, the perverse. They're not the wise man, they're the fool, the one who chases after folly. They use, listen, they use their entire being. That's the, the point the sage has been trying to get across is that it starts up here in our thoughts and it moves down into our eyes. Then it comes out of our mouth. And then it makes its way into our hands and our feet. And before too long, we have our hands and our feet We're using them to choke the life out of people, out of the world, out of the the cosmos around us. What we were meant to do to redeem and restore, we are now doing the opposite. And this is what the wicked and the perverse do. They use their entire being, mind, heart, soul, everything about them eventually makes its way out unleashing discord and destruction. There's a continuum, and I've talked to you all about this for years, that if you look at things on a continuum, you know that things are, are... start at a certain place, but then they make a journey to another place. And you can have some things that are relatively benign. They don't hurt anybody. They're over here. And then there's something on the other end that's very destructive. And there's stuff all the way in between. And what happens in our lives, folks, is we are moving all the time along that continuum. You know that. We're always moving. Sometimes we're doing things that are not too bad. Other times we're really far off to one side or the other. There's a continuum. And this happens in politics. It happens in, uh, uh, in, in every area of life where these things uh, start out as just simple, they don't cause too much damage, they're not hurting anybody, but by the time they reach their full bloom, they are causing tremendous destruction. They're not only affecting the person himself, but everybody around them. It spills over and starts to destroy. This is what the sage has in mind. This is what it is. Listen to this quote from, uh, it's from Dr. Walkie. Sins of the inner life These are the attitudes, the thoughts, the feelings, uh, the heart. What is in our heart? We talked about that. Cannot remain internalized. They just can't. We are not built to hold things in. In fact, if you hold things in, what will happen to you physically? You get sick. You develop ulcers. You become psychotic. At the same time, if everything is just spilling out and, 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 and being poured out, you also are destroying yourself and others around you. But you cannot keep things internalized. They come out, Dr. Walkie says, through the eyes, through speech, through our actions, the end result being the unleashing of conflict, sowing discord, stirring up dissension, polluting, shattering, There's a negative influence that goes on beyond ourselves into the world around us. Let me give you a a category. It's going to sound a little difficult, but just hang with me and think about it. Write it down if you need to. There's something in the the book of Proverbs, and this is uh, from Dr. Walke's commentary. There's something in the book of Proverbs which is called the deed-destiny Nexus. Now don't let that scare you. It's just a theological category that he made up. And believe me, he gets to make up things. 
He's one of those people that he, when he makes something up, it's pretty good. The deed destiny nexus. Deed destiny nexus. It's very prevalent in the book of Proverbs. It's very prevalent in the Psalms, but it's also scattered throughout your Bible. Deed, destiny, nexus. And I'm going to simplify it because it can become pretty complicated, but here's what it means. What you do now, what you do in your life right now, these however many years you have, if you have five years, ten years, twenty years, 75 years, however many years God gives you, what you do now in your life will determine what happens then in your life. In other words, if you're, doing, if you're doing good things now, good things will occur later. And if you're doing evil things now, evil will occur later. Are you tracking with me? Some of it, it, should, be, it should start to become uncomfortable right now, yes? There's a deed-destiny nexus in the Bible that is, if you're honest, folks, and most of us aren't, but if you're honest, if you read it just as what the, the authors are saying, it is terrifying. There is a deed-destiny nexus. What you do now, what you do now, will determine what will happen. Cause and effect. It's terrifying. Dr. Walkie puts it this way, character, listen, and see if you pick it up. Those of you that were here for all the months we went through 30-some weeks of studying the book of Ephesians, I don't know how many times I said this, but listen. Character determines conduct. You with me? Character determines conduct. Conduct determines consequences. Everybody tracking? Character determines conduct. Conduct determines consequences. What I told you throughout the Ephesians series is who you are determines what you do. The internal character, who you are, determines uh, what you do. If you get that backwards and you say, well, what I do determines who I am, you no longer have Christianity. You have something else. You have religion but you do not have Christianity. Dr. J.I. Packer is going around giving his goodbyes. He's getting old and he knows he's going to die, and so he's been going around giving goodbyes. And, and Ugo Porras, one of our elders, told me about a, a wonderful YouTube. I watched it recently. And Dr. Packer, after years of studying the Scripture, said this, that being who you are, being, determines doing. And Packer said exactly the same words that I've been saying to you. That what you do determines who you are, determines what you do. And Packer says you cannot get them backwards. If you get them backwards, you're not talking about Christianity. This deed, destiny, nexus is prevalent in Scripture. It is profound in the book of Proverbs. And, it, and the book of Proverbs puts it this way. Listen, a worthless man... Plots evil. His speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife. He's talking about who this person is becomes out in what he does. A whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence 
entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. The, the Apostle James picked it up in his book and he says the tongue is a fire. Do you see the metaphor? The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, a world of iniquity, he says. It is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire, listen, the course of the entire life. Do you see? The the deed destiny nexus is not just something in Proverbs, it's in the whole Bible, it's even in the New Testament. And that course is set on fire, the Apostle James said, by hell itself. By hell. So what is this sowing discord? What is unleashing conflict? Unleashing conflict is unleashing hell into the world around you. It's one thing to keep it inside, folks, but it's another thing to let it spill out into our lives. And those of you that are married... Uh, those of you that have children, those of you that work in a job, those of you that have any kind of family, basically all of us, if you have neighbors, we are always in some sort of conflict with someone. And if you say, well, I'm not in conflict with anybody, you're just not being honest. There's always something going on. And that internal conflict that often goes on inside of us can eventually make its way out. And it unleashes into the lives of the people around us something horrific. What does it do? Well, look at verse 19. He, he uses the term unleashing conflict in both 14 and then he repeats it in 19. But in verse 19, he adds the phrase, it unleashes conflict among brothers. And the word that he uses for brothers is a word that is very uh, uh, elastic. It can mean literal brothers, like my brother David and I. It can mean blood brothers. It can mean close kin or kinsmen, okay, Uh, cousins, uh, other relatives. It can mean people that are close kinsmen. It can also, depending on the context, it can mean fellow countrymen, like all of us in the United States of America, the citizens of the United States, people that live here, we are brothers or brothers and sisters to make it more politically correct. But the term means it's, it's a kinsman, a brother, a fellow countryman. So again, the continuum, all the way from uh, a blood relative to a fellow countryman. And even in some contexts, it can mean a whole tribe or all of humanity. That's how broad, that's how elastic that term uh, brothers is. It can mean anything from a blood relative to anyone who has descended, listen, from a common father. And it stands in contrast to those who are outside, foreigners. In the Old Testament, the foreigners were the people that did not belong to God's people. In the Bible, there were only two people. You you all know that, right? There's only two people. Children of light and children of darkness. And the whole world was separated among those two people. Regardless of ethnicity, it was to whom you gave your allegiance, which God in the pantheon of gods you worshipped. And if you worshipped the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you were included in that family, that tribe who descended from one, listen, one common father. 
God being the common father and Abraham being the father of the faithful. And that included the people that were Hebrews and the people that were Gentiles who converted to the religion of the Hebrew people. You with me? Everybody tracking? Okay, I know this is a lot to think about. But this continuum, what it does is it unleashes conflict among those people. It's not that there's... That, 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 that the conflict needs to be unleashed between us and the, the enemies of this world, right? We're already at war with, the, with this world, Jesus said. It's conflict among us, within the family of God, within those who are, are descended from a common father. Think about what happens in our families, our nuclear families, and in our churches, and in the world at large. Look at the, 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 the separation of denominations. There are thousands of denominations, literally. And much of that separation occurred because of conflict, unleashed the fire of hell among God's people. You see, the goal of the wicked, the goal of the worthless person, is to destroy relationships. So what does it do? It destroys relationships. It destroys the imago Dei. The image of God in each of us and the, and the relationship that we're to have with one another, these things break them apart. It's a direct assault, folks, on God's created order. He made us to be one flesh. Speaking of husbands and wives, but in, in another way, in another sense, all of us who are human beings. And we look on the news, and I tell you folks, when I watch the news, it's so abstract. Who can imagine that you're in a market shopping and somebody walks up next to you and plunges a knife into you just because of your ethnicity or your color or your background or your socioeconomic, whatever it happens to be. The conflict is profound and deep. Sometimes we don't even like people because uh, they wear suits. I actually have, Marty V and I had somebody actually criticize. The reason I don't like you is because you wear a suit. And your tie offends me. You should be dressing more casually because you're, you're putting on airs. I said, no, I have to dress like this or I won't get a paycheck. I'd come to church in, in a t-shirt and blue jeans, but I'd never get away with it. Right? So come on. Yeah, see? It breaks bonds. It destroys loyalties. It separates families. You know, if you've had marital conflict, you know what that's like. It shatters your life. It affects everything. It is on the unleashing of the very fire of hell. It incites and inflames a destructive passion in the world that sometimes you can never bring it back. You know, Hitler, Adolf Hitler, did not cause the German people to hate the Jews, did he? They already hated the Jews. All he did was incite them, inflame them. And folks, I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, this goes on now, today, in our own culture, in our own world. 
And I'm going to say this as kindly as I can. Beware. I don't care if they're political or if they're religious figures or if they're social commentators. I don't care who they are. But when their whole life's existence is to do nothing more than to inflame and incite you to anger over whatever the situation may be. Maybe it's political. Maybe it's social. Maybe it's religious. Whatever it is. When you hear that flaming fire burning up and they unleash these things that incite and cause burning, they are doing damage. They're stirring up dissension. Do you hear what I'm saying? They're stirring up discord. And it is extremely dangerous. If any of you have read The Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, it's hard to read. It's a difficult book. But there's an amazing quote. Many people have used this quote. But listen to what Solzhenitsyn said while he was in prison. What he discovered about human nature. And see if this doesn't resonate with you. Solzhenitsyn says, If only... If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds. He's saying, you know, if we could just identify all the evil people, that would be so easy. If I could just look out and say, okay, you're evil, you're evil, you're evil, you're evil, you're evil, you're evil, you know, and, and group them and put them in a gulag. Put them in a concentration camp. Separate them from the good people. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line, listen to this, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who? Who among us is willing to destroy a piece of our own heart. Do you see, if we're honest, folks, the heart, that's all that we are. The line dividing good and evil is there in the heart of each of us. Yes? It's there. And if we think it's just a matter of the bad people and the good people, we are going to miss the message of Proverbs, the message of the Bible, the message of the cross. We will miss it. If only there was that line. But the line, folks, is in our own hearts. And the, the sage is going to extreme effort to show you the line is there. And the wicked, the worthless man, is pouring out, inciting violence, inciting evil. And when you, as Christian people, good people, People that know the grace of God that have tasted and seen, when you find your heart, your mind vibrating with that evil, you have to confront it. So how? How do we confront it? Well, there's three ways. Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, here is how you confront the wicked and worthless things in this world. The line that is in each and every man's heart that divides good and evil, here's how you confront it. Jesus said very simply, repent, believe the Gospel, and what's the third one, class? Theology class. Repent, believe the Gospel, and what? I'm a terrible teacher. Listen, repent, believe the Gospel, and follow Me. Jesus said that all within a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 1. It's, or Mark chapter 1, I'm very sorry. Mark chapter 1. 
He said, repent. That means you turn away from the, the, the evil heart and you turn to the God who can restore your heart. Put you back together. Give you a new heart, a new soul, a new mind. Yes? Put you back. Repent. Believe the Gospel. You see, you are not the wicked. I've told you this for all the years I've been here. You are not wicked. Your heart is not evil. If you have embraced Jesus Christ, what has happened to your heart? What happened to the heart of stone? It's gone. What, what's in its place now? A heart of flesh. Tender, soft, alive. A heart that will vibrate with God's law. That will vibrate with God's grace and goodness. That will embrace the kindness that this world is desperately, desperately looking for. See, the heart of stone has been shattered if you're a Christian. And the heart that was stone is gone and there's a new heart, a new man, a new creation. It's called being born again. And God puts this heart into those who repent and believe the Gospel. And follow me, He says. You see, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see it? Mark is telling people who are followers of Jesus, repent, believe the Gospel, and follow Me. Trust Me. And by doing these things, you can confront and defeat the unleashing of this horror of conflict and hatred and violence in the world. In other words, you become a peacemaker. So, Here's the question, and let's finish with this. Think, I'm asking you, think deeply with me for a moment. Did the book of Proverbs, did the sage anticipate the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it anticipated? Because he never mentions Jesus. In fact, what we do see in the book of Proverbs is what? The deed-destiny nexus. What you do now will produce this then. Cause and effect. It's terrible. It's terrifying. It should cause you to shake in your boots if you really understand what he's saying. Did that sage, did the writer of Proverbs anticipate the deed, destiny, nexus. And I would like to suggest to you, yes, He did. He anticipated it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what He did now in His life had effect then, now, in each one of us. You know, I was shocked and stunned sitting in a, in a Ligonier conference with Dr. R.C. Sproul and all the dignitaries that you can imagine were there. And Dr. Sproul got up and said this, make no mistake, we are saved. If you're saved at all, you are saved the old-fashioned way. You're saved by works. You could hear a pin drop, kind of like right now. 
You're saved by works. Make no mistake. You are saved the old-fashioned way by works. But they're not your works. The deed, destiny, nexus is incontrovertible. There it stands. And into that deed, destiny, nexus steps one who actively obeyed God's law perfectly. He did everything exactly the way God wanted him to. He said things like this, I've not come to destroy the law, I have come to fulfill it. I've come to accomplish it. Which of you can convince me of sin? He even said in Matthew 23, whatever the Pharisees and scribes say to you, do what they say, but don't do like they act. Not one jot, not one tittle of the law will pass away. He did not come to destroy it. He came to actually fulfill it, to actively, what we call in theology, active obedience, to obey the the law of God perfectly. The deeds of Jesus Christ were perfect deeds. But then in a stroke, I don't know what else you can call it, folks. In a stroke of pure grace and love for each of us, He took and did another deed. He passively obeyed God. He actively obeyed in fulfilling the law, but He passively obeyed in in doing this. He said, my life is mine. Nobody takes it away from me. I take it up, I lay it down. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to passively lay it down. Don't you think I could call 10,000 legions of angels? Don't you think I could get an army to come rescue me from heaven? Of course I could. But for you, for your sake, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life. Perfect satisfaction for sin. Perfect atonement. What we sang in the song this morning. Perfectly. He atones for our sin. He actively obeys God. He perfectly sacrifices Himself. And the deed, destiny, nexus that Proverbs anticipates comes to full bloom. What Jesus does then becomes our reality now. Do you see it? He does the work for us. Not not so that we don't have to obey. Not so that we don't have to do the work. But so that we can He creates a new man, a new humanity, a new heart. Not wicked, not worthless, but righteous and worth. Worth what? An infinite amount. How much are you worth? God lays His Son on the table and says, here's what you're worth. This is how I love you. He frees us to fight the good fight. He ends our bondage to slavery. The deed, destiny, nexus is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it, instead of unleashing evil and conflict into the world, Jesus' life spills out into this world and unleashes love and grace and peace. And He asks us to take that And then in turn, unleash it to the rest of the world. Will you do it? I pray you will. I pray you'll think deeply about what Jesus accomplished for us and in us.
and that it will motivate you to love Him and serve the people around you. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank You for this beautiful day and thank You for the deed and destiny that Jesus provided for us. And I pray, Father, it will transform our hearts. Please soften our hard hardness that often creeps in to our hearts. Please help us to recognize it, to repent, to believe the Gospel, and to follow You, our great King, who for us and for our sake laid down His life that we might be free, men and women, boys and girls, free to choose You, to love You, and to serve You with all our hearts. Father, help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.